This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we have entered the penultimate week of the 2020 legislative session. There is indeed a light at the end of the tunnel, but frankly, it may have more to do with the coronavirus. The governor has just declared a statewide emergency after two cases were confirmed in the Sunshine State. The Florida primary doesn't happen until March 17th, but early voting begins today in some counties, and they'll be open for early voting in all counties by Saturday. In the aftermath of the South Carolina primary, Congresswoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz is endorsing Joe Biden in the Florida primary. We'll talk with Steve Shale, who runs a pro-Biden PAC, about what's next for the Democrats as they try to figure out who can beat Donald Trump. Something special today for all the Holocaust deniers out there. On the Sunrise interview, you'll hear from a 90-year-old survivor of the Nazi death camps at Auschwitz and Bergen-Belsen. Magda Botter shared her story with state lawmakers as they took up a bill on Holocaust education in Florida schools. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with the latest news on Florida Man. One of them is looking for a new place to open a swingers club. The other is in jail after being accused of sucking a man's toes in the hospital. And now, the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, March 2nd. The State Department of Health confirms two people in Florida have presumptively tested positive for the coronavirus. These are the first cases confirmed in the Sunshine State. Governor Ron DeSantis has declared a public health emergency and has scheduled two news conferences today in Tampa and Miami. State Surgeon General Scott Rivkes will lead the response during the public health emergency, and the Department of Health will monitor all people suspected of having the illness for a period of 14 days or until they test negative for the disease. Doctors Hospital of Sarasota sent out a letter Sunday notifying its staff it had a patient that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says tested positive for the disease. The patient entered the hospital in late February but was not tested until the CDC relaxed their guidance on testing. The hospital says it moved the patient to isolation as soon as they realized it might be coronavirus coronavirus, and they've identified all the staffers who had contact with that patient and may have been exposed. Welcome to week number eight of the nine-week legislative session, a time when rank-and-file lawmakers are trying to nail down wayward bills while legislative leaders work behind the scenes to come up with a budget. When they passed their respective spending plans a few weeks back, there was a $1.4 billion difference between them, and that's about where it stands today. The thing to remember is they really don't have two weeks to finish the job. State law imposes a 72-hour cooling-off period between the time the conference committees sign off on the final deal and the time the legislature can actually vote. That means the budget has to be done by next Tuesday if they want to end the session on time next Friday. Along with the budget, lawmakers will be dealing with one of the governor's top priorities this week, a bill requiring employers to use the federal e-verify system to screen new hires and make sure they're here legally. The House plan has a huge exemption for the private sector. It would only apply to government agencies and the companies that do business with them. The Senate version of e-verify would, in theory, apply to both public and private sectors. But there's a provision allowing businesses to opt out if they come up with some other way of complying with the law. It's a bit like saying, trust and don't bother to verify. Either way, it could get messy. South Florida Congresswoman and former Democratic National Committee Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz is backing former Vice President Joe Biden in the 2020 Democratic presidential primary. That endorsement came one day after Biden secured a decisive victory in South Carolina and one day before the start of early voting in Florida. In a written statement, Wasserman Schultz says, quote, Joe has the heart to unite our country, the experience to get big things done for the American people, and the vision to move our country beyond four years of Donald Trump's failed presidency. Florida knows Joe, and Joe knows Florida. 
unquote. Wasserman Schultz will be appearing at an organizing event for Biden this morning at the Broward Teachers Union in Tamarack at 945. Now, South Carolina was Biden's first win on the campaign trail, but is it enough to slow down Bernie Sanders? We put that question to Steve Shale, a veteran political operative from Florida who chairs the Biden well, Super PAC called Unite I mean, the, the Country. Of the case we've had all along is that once the uh, election turned to states that uh, looked more like America, and certainly uh, voters look more at the Democratic Party's coalition, that we would do better. And so... Uh, I think last night, you know, was some really good momentum, particularly coming after Nevada. You know, and the good news for us is if you look at March, about 75 percent of the delegates come from states uh, where at least 30 percent of the population is uh, is made up of people of color. And I think in nine of those states, at least 25 percent of the population is African-American. So I think it's a real opportunity for us to have a good March. Now, despite Joe Biden's long history, I mean, this is what, the first time he's actually won a primary? I think it is. Now, in fairness, he did not get to a primary in 88. I think he only competed in one in 08. So, uh, but yeah, I think this was his first primary win. What is Biden's key to success in Florida? What does he have to do? Well, I mean, I think Florida plays out pretty well for him. Florida is a state that, you know, almost half of our electorate will be uh, made up of communities of color. Uh, it'll be 25 to 30 percent African-American. Uh, it's also, a, you know, a state where the Hispanic vote is a little bit different than it is, say, in Nevada or California. Um, so, if you look at um, how, you know, frankly, how Florida performed in Clinton versus Sanders, I mean, what we've seen around the around the country so far is Bernie really hasn't been able to expand beyond what he got uh, in, in in 16. And so, you know, I think particularly, you know, uh, you know, I mean, the big the big wild card is what Michael Bloomberg does, if he's still in the race on the 17th or not. Um, but, you know, if the field does narrow, um, you know, I think Florida is the kind of state where where uh, Biden could run up some pretty good numbers. So you're not buying into the whole Bernie is inevitable thing, eh? I mean, he's got some advantages, but, uh, you know, I think it's uh, there's a long ways to go in this thing. So, I mean, I expect Bernie to will will win more delegates on Super Tuesday. But, I mean, there's a lot of states, you know, a lot of the dates coming up, like the 10th is Mississippi and Missouri and, and Michigan, which should do pretty well for us. 17th is, you know, Florida and Ohio, um, Florida, Florida, Ohio, Illinois and Arizona, which are four states that Clinton sweep last time. So you know, I, I suspect by the end of March, if it all goes well, like we, we should be, you know, we, we could be in pretty good shape. Next up, a deep dive into the Holocaust, courtesy of a witness who survived it. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predicted is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predicted beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predicted.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. It's not often you see Florida lawmakers standing in silence to honor someone who just testified before them. But the Budget Committee and the State Senate did just that for Magda Bader, who survived two of the most notorious Nazi death camps during the Second World War. Lawmakers were spellbound as she described life as a Hungarian Jew during the Holocaust. I cannot believe that this happened to me and so many millions of others many, many, many years ago. But it's still very important to remember this. I was born in 1930, so you can imagine I'm almost 90. 
Now, many ladies don't say how old they are, but I am <laughs> amazed that I am reached this age because it's by sheer God's help and miracles. Uh, I came from a big family of 10 children, and I was the youngest of 10. When I was nine years old, we became Hungarians because that part of Czechoslovakia was ceded to Hungary. And from then on, since the age of nine, things were not good. We're okay at the beginning, but towards 44, for us, it was terrible. We got an order in 44, 24 hours to leave our home and move into another neighborhood, which they made into a ghetto. I and four sisters and my parents and my parents and my sister, one of my sisters, little baby, three and a half year old little girl, we were together in the ghetto. From there, we were staying there for a few months. We were suddenly told that we have to vacate the ghetto and go to a place which was on the outskirts of the town. When we were forced to start marching <clears throat> from the ghetto to the outskirts of town, my grandfather, my grandmother was marching along us the SS guards and the Hungarian equivalent guards with their weapons, their rifles, and their, their dogs followed us. My grandfather fell, and my mother tried to help him to stand up, and the guard hit my mother with the butt of the rifle and had to leave the, her father, my grandfather, on the ground, and we had to keep marching. The reason we were taken there, because they had uh, uh, railroad tracks. And so people, the older people, knew that that must mean that they will take us somewhere else from there. We had no idea that, that Auschwitz existed, that extermination camps existed, that death camps existed. I was just turning 14 years old when this happened to me. We were being shot at while we were there. The guards would shoot people randomly to scare us that we don't make any attempt to escape. After a few days, the guards started to make us load onto cattle cars. There were old people, parents, grandparents, and young women. No young men anymore, between the ages of like 18 and, and 40 or 50, there were none, none around. And when we were loaded onto those cattle cars, we were told that we will get two buckets. One bucket will be for drinking water. The other bucket was to be used as a bathroom facility. You can imagine that, that 100 persons, children, old people, neither was lasting very long. I must say that the terrible situation that was in the ghetto or in this cattle car, I blocked out of my head for, to a lot of details. I think I had to do it to survive. After a few days in the cattle cars, we arrived the so-called destination. And the destination was 
Auschwitz. Auschwitz, as you all know, I'm sure that it was a death camp. Millions and millions of people were there, and millions of people were killed there in many, many different ways. By the time they took us, the Hungarian Jews, uh, they, the, the Nazis, the, the, this people who were so well educated in Germany that they could believe that they can kill people just because they are of a different religion or because they were of a different ethnic group. And this was their method of killing, whether they were shooting people, people or gassing them. And the Russians were getting closer, so they wanted to kill them even faster. So as soon as we arrived, they told us that we have to walk fast and separate. Mothers and children go in one direction, and fathers, old men, in another direction, and young women in the third direction. But they kept repeating that we will see each other again, not worry. We will see each other. So I never saw my mother after that. My mother went with my sister with the baby, and my father went in another direction, and I stayed then with three sisters, or four of us stayed together, I being the youngest. I never, never saw my mother, my father, my sister with the baby after that. And they were immediately killed, gassed and killed. In Auschwitz, the conditions were terrible, very little food, very crowded. Our heads were shaved, our clothes were removed immediately. A lot of people, everybody, or a lot of them who went through Auschwitz got tattoos. But by the time they took us there, they didn't even do that. They just got rid of us as fast as they could. And we stayed there for a few months. Before the winter came, they put us on other cattle cars, and they took us to another camp in Germany, Bergen-Belsen, also a big extermination camp. Millions of people were killed there in many, many ways either from hunger, from diseases, and, and, and the cold, and the conditions, lack of hygiene, of course. And our heads were shaved, and we had to work either in the ammunition factory, or I had to work with an axe breaking up stones for a pavement of roads. And we had to walk for many miles, like five kilometers every day, each way to go to work. And this was our life in this second camp. Uh, every night we were locked up into uh, our barracks. And at night we could hear these heavy bombers flying over, hoping and praying that maybe the Americans are coming to help, to save, be saved. There was no hope, really, because we were even practicing how they're going to get rid of us. They, we had to dig ditches, and they would line us up, and they were going to shoot us, and we would be killed that way, and that would be the end. 
And one night, when they locked us up, the SS guards escaped and left the camp unattended. My sister was very courageous. She said, let's try to escape through the windows in this building and go to the end. We managed to escape through the window on our, in our striped uniform, and we were able to get to the forest unnoticed. Other people had the same idea. They did the same thing. Meantime, the locals, the guards, the local civilians arrived and loaded everybody into the trucks. They sh were shooting them, and they pulled them out of the forests. Luckily for my, me, for my sisters, and some other people managed to be unnoticed. We stayed in the forest for a few days, but we got sick and we were very hungry. Managed to go back to the camp to look for some food. We didn't find any food. I went to the road which usually led us to go to work. We met with American soldiers, black American soldiers, and I asked, I had a little knowledge of English from way back from my home, and I was told it's April 15th. And two days later was my 15th birthday. But now I was free. What I want to tell you, that I am so grateful to be in the United States, that I, it was a long journey. I was 15. I was then uh, a young 15. I know my have grandchildren who are you know, six grandchildren. When I see them all grown up, I can't believe it that I have grandchildren. I even have a great grandchild because I'm so grateful that this is the country that made me a person. I became a citizen. Bader came to Tallahassee to testify in favor of Senator Lauren Book's bill, creating a statewide standard curriculum on the Holocaust in Florida public schools. The atrocities committed during Hitler's Nazi regime are beyond compare. The murder of six million Jews, captivation and torture of many more, the damage done on a cellular level to survivors for generations to come. On the 75th anniversary of the end of the Holocaust, we as a state, and very simply as human beings, have an obligation to ensure this history is not forgotten, to honor the lives lost, and so that this piece of history may never be repeated. Senate Bill 1628 will ensure that Holocaust education is taught uniformly and with efficacy throughout our state, including instruction on the policy against anti-Semitism, which passed last year. The bill authorizes the Department of Education to work with the Holocaust Education Task Force to develop age-appropriate curriculum to be used in the classrooms in classrooms statewide. It also designates the second week in November as Holocaust Education Week in recognition of the anniversary of Kristallnacht, which is widely recognized as the precipitating event foreshadowing the Holocaust. Book filed the bill because of all those stories last year about a South Florida principal who refused to call the Holocaust a fact. Your calendar of events today begins with Senator Randolph Bracey holding a news conference at 10 in the morning at the Orange County Courthouse. He'll be discussing a case in which a six-year-old was arrested in Orlando. The Florida Public Service Commission is holding an event in Duval County at 11 to inform consumers about utility scams. It's part of National Consumer Protection Week.
The Senate Ethics Selections Committee meets at 11. They'll hold confirmation hearings for half a dozen appointees, including a new member of the Board of Education and the director of the South Florida Water Management District. Opponents of bills that would limit the authority of local governments to regulate vacation rental properties are holding a rally at 1030 on the steps of the Old Capitol. At 12, the Senate Rules Committee meets, and there are dozens of bills on the agenda, including one that limits the ability of local governments to regulate vacation rental properties. There's also a bill that could require employers to use the federal E-Verify system and a proposal to slap term limits on local school board members. At 1, the House Health and Human Services Committee takes up a bill that would allow Florida to take part in an interstate medical licensure compact that would help physicians qualify to practice across state lines. The House Select Committee on the Integrity of Research Institutions meets at 4. They'll hear more presentations as they continue to scrutinize potential foreign interference in Florida research. At 6 in Palm Beach Gardens, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission begins a series of meetings to get feedback on a new rule prohibiting importation or possession of deer carcasses or certain parts of deer from outside the state. This is part of an effort to reduce the risk of chronic wasting disease, which is the deer version of mad cow disease. And it's time once again for the misadventures of Florida Man, the superhero we deserve but certainly don't need. A Florida man who works at Gulf Coast Hospital in Fort Myers is jailed after being accused of sucking a patient's toes. The victim, who'd been sleeping, told deputies he woke up after something came in contact with his foot. The victim later felt moisture on his toes and saw 23-year-old Franz Beldoran kneeling beside the bed. The patient called a nurse and deputies were called in. They charged him with battery on a senior citizen. And a Florida man who wanted to open a sex club in Fort Lauderdale with wall-to-wall beds will have to find a different location. Paul Ritchie had planned to open his Rocalta Swingers Lifestyle Club in a stretch of Northeast 13th Street that's already thriving thanks to an eclectic mix of bars, bakeries, and shops. But critics, including the neighbors, say the sex club is the wrong vibe for their community. Ritchie did not say why things didn't work out, but he says he is looking for a new place to set up his club. And that's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.